This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This is the Sports Edge with Rick Wolf on your flagship station for New York sports. The Fan, Sports Radio 66 and 1019 FM, WFAN, New York. Hi, everybody, and welcome to this week's edition of Rick Wolf's Sports Edge. I'm your host, Rick Wolf, and we have a very special guest this morning on the show, and we have a lot of ground to cover with only limited time, so I want to get right into our discussion. And, of course, we'll take your your calls and questions and comments at 1-877-337-6666. Colleen McGuire is the executive director of the New Jersey State Interscholastic Athletic Association. That organization is the governing body of high school sports in the state of New Jersey. And by all accounts, Colleen is held in very high regard in a job that has to be, well, one of the toughest and most demanding positions in the country. Now, just a little biographical background. Colleen was a four-year starting point guard in basketball at George Washington University. The teams she played on were all terrific. In fact, she was so good as a playmaker that she was inducted into GW's Hall of Fame. And off the court, she graduated summa cum laude, number one in her class in the demanding major of accounting. She and her husband are the parents of three athletic daughters who range in age from middle school through high school, which means, of course, that, yes, Colleen is also an active sports parent. And that adds a very nice perspective to her everyday work as the executive director of the New Jersey State Interscholastic Association. And to that end, Colleen has graciously agreed to be on the Sports Edge this morning to talk about a variety of issues that confront high school athletes, coaches, educators, and parents. And Colleen, good morning. Good morning, Rick. Thank you for having me. Well, thank you for getting up early on a Sunday. I know these are busy days for you. Uh, as I mentioned, there's a lot of ground to cover, so let's get right to it. Let's start with the number one concern of all parents and kids and coaches. That's obviously COVID in light of the, uh, the Delta variant. Colleen, just to make sure that we're all on the same page, what is the current situation when it comes to decisions regarding COVID and high school sports in New Jersey? Yes. Right now, um, New Jersey is operating, you know, under normal procedures. Um, school years are scheduled. Some schools started this past year. Many mm-hmm. start this coming um, this past week. Many right. start this coming week. You know, my own children start right after Labor Day. Um, 
We take our cues and our, you know, direction from the governor's office, his executive orders, and also from the Department of Health. We're here to basically, you know, ensure all of our schools are kept up to date on all of the requirements, you know, coming from those groups when it comes to any, you know, considerations or anything. You know, for instance, Governor Murphy earlier in August announced that all indoor, you know, related personnel activities must be masked, right? So right now we're operating under sports activities, similar fashion. You're using locker rooms, you're indoors for practices, um, you're going to need to be in masks. So we are not, you know, the health experts. You know, we're just as the the liaison with the health officials, with the governor's office to make sure our schools are kept abreast. Um, we're optimistic. You know, we have every intention. We are running our normal sports seasons this coming year in um, and normal championships. Do we realize some schools are going to get disrupted? Some schools are going to have interruptions because of COVID? Absolutely. But we are, you know, optimistic that uh, all of our sports will get played. They'll all get played in the season they belong, and we will be handing out, you know, state championship trophies in November and December, and likewise the remainder of the school year. Okay, that, that's 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 very encouraging uh, in light of what happened last year. Uh, although I, I I do want to break some of this down. I mean, the first question I have, uh, which is sort of a generic question, uh, but I, I think a lot of parents, a lot of coaches are just curious. Uh, can you share with us some of the the backstory? Like you mentioned, the governor Governor Murphy in his office. How, how do you how do how do these decisions, these health decisions, how do they filter down? from the governor's office to people like yourself and your peers. I mean, give us an idea of how often they communicate with you, and, and do you, you have, I don't know, conferences, calls with them, uh, ask questions. How, how does this all work on the backstory end? Well, you know, we have been very lucky. Since last summer, um, the governor and his office was very engaged in uh, our efforts, you know, especially last year, right, starting the school year last year, Spring, you know, kids were shut out of school very drastically. Spring sports were canceled. Um, we were starting on a new school year. A lot of unknowns with, you know, the status of the school day for many of our schools. Um, but they realized athletics plays such an important role mm-hmm. um, in the physical well-being, but also the emotional and social well-being of these teenagers. And, they, you know, we met with them in August um, to review, you know, uh, our plans as to, what we were going to, you know, offer when. Um, we relied on them, on their insight as to the, the, the COVID, um, you know, pandemic as far as the numbers, you know, what they were expecting, the trends that were coming. You know, so, for instance, to start last school year, they were not comfortable yet to have indoor sports. Mm-hmm. So that New Jersey meant gymnastics and girls volleyball, that they said, you know, let's move that till later in the year. We're not comfortable. We are very comfortable outside sports can be played safely. You know, so it just took a little time. Um, and then, we, you know, throughout the year we met with them again in November um, to discuss the upcoming winter season. Um, and so, and since the summer, you know, we've had a couple email exchanges. We haven't had the need, it seems, for like a formal uh, meeting because I think they're confident that school, you've been through an entire year of a COVID-impacted school year. You have the measures. You know what to do. Um, and there's no reason from their perspective to have to start moving sports around. They think that sports – I think we did a good job last year of proving every sport can be played, and it can be played safely. So in a way, I'm proud of our schools and the leadership of our athletic directors, our athletic trainers that, you know, kept these kids as safe as possible. I've said since I took this job last, you know, summer that if sports are going to be played, 
we are the safest place to, to offer the sports for these teenagers. Huh. You know, we have the resources in place. We have the administrative oversight, the accountability. We make sure all the kids are screened before they start participating, especially any that have had COVID or exposed to COVID at the home. Mm-hmm. We make sure they get to the doctors, they get their physicals, they have athletic trainers on site, um, and they have, you know, the, the contact tracing. They're able to, like, really keep things um, before they can grow out of control and keep things, you know, uh, contained um, in any sports team or, you know, among a program. So, I, you know, that's the position we've always taken. Um, but we do, you know, if there's something coming up, like with the masking, you know, we will reach out and uh, get just further clarification, make sure our understanding is correct, um, and get the messages out to our schools as timely as possible. Okay. Well, let, let's talk, for example, I mean, you mentioned um, the, the, the difference between the indoor versus outdoor sports. Now, the CDC, uh, you know, they look upon, um, they categorize football, of course, as a high-risk sport. They also said the same thing about volleyball. Both are, you know, fall sports. Um, so with volleyball, the, the, the kids have to wear masks uh, not only on the bench but during the game, correct, during the match itself? Well, right, right now they have not made that change to their position. The, in New Jersey, the position has always been you're masked except if you are engaged in a high-intensity or aerobic or anaerobic exercise. Meaning, once you're out there on the soccer field, once you're out there on the football field, once you're out there on the volleyball court, yeah. that you can remove the mask. You, you, we have put, we have many student athletes that still stayed masked. There's uh-huh. nothing prohibiting that. Right. It's just you can remove it once you're actually engaged in the activity. So as of right now, that is still you know the guidelines. That is still you know the protocols that we are will be following. So just to be clear, so the kids don't have to wear masks when they're playing volleyball. No. No, not as of today, no. Okay. And so oh. if something changes from the health officials or their guidance on sports activities, we certainly, you know, our schools would abide by that. But for now, um, that is still an exception as to when you can remove your mask. Now, I have to ask you, since obviously basketball is near and dear to your heart, <laughs> basketball is, to me, obviously it's an indoor sport, but, I mean, clearly um, – that would be a sport where it seems to me that kids should wear masks. Uh, I know there were a few college programs last year during the height of the pandemic where all the kids were, were basically mandated to wear masks during the games uh, while they were playing. What's your feeling about basketball and wearing masks at the high school level? You know, I don't, I don't know if the data is there to support that they have to wear masks during the games. You know, we went all season under these same guidelines last year. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, all levels of basketball have been played through professional down through youth. Um, AAU basketball was up and running all, in normal fashion all summer. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't believe there's any reported, you know, health uh, data to support that there was, you know, genetically traced spread through any competition in uh, in the sport of basketball in an indoor environment or an outdoor environment. So, again, I think the risk is when it's, they're in the locker rooms, they're on the sidelines, they're on the, the bus rides, when they're actually involved in the competition. I just don't think there's any, you know, um, real support to, you know, have the kids wear a mask. And, you know, some, like you said, some did. We had some high schools that still required their kids to play in masks. Right. They, you know, that was fine. 
And I find that very curious that, that uh, as you said, you have not seen, and obviously you'd be the person to have seen it, you have not seen any reports or stats or research that has suggested from last year that, that the numbers rose uh, from kids playing, you know, basketball or, or, or volleyball, uh, getting, uh, getting the, uh, you know, COVID or getting the Delta variant. You have not seen those numbers go up. So it's uh, understandably you're saying, but it's different. They have to wear masks if they're on the school bus going to an event, an away event, or if they're in the locker room or something like that. But in the game itself, you don't see any numbers that suggest that that's a real concern. No, and I, I mean, I point back, you know, we, we ran last uh, April, we ran an individual wrestling tournament for both our girls and yep. then our boys. Uh-huh. Yeah, and we had no reported incidences of transmission during an actual wrestling, you know, competition. And that, so, was, be- I mean, that was before that- teenagers were getting vaccinated. Exactly, exactly. That was, you know, um, they you know, they weren't really starting to get vaccinated until, you know, May, really, right. after that was over. So. Interesting. Um, and I just want to also clarify, because, again, there's been so much, uh, you know, turmoil uh, and confusion. It's, at the end of the day, it's up to the individual school district that makes the decision about, you know, what, what their policy is going to be in terms of kids and whether they're going to have uh, to wear masks or, or, or they're going to have a program, a sports program. Is that correct? It's the school district that makes the call, the final call? Well, regarding, okay, the, the first question regarding masks, you well, know. Well, we talked there about is, that just now, yeah. So yeah, there's an executive that. order in place. There's an executive order in place that requires all students to yes. be masked, you know, you know, all school personnel. Um, as far as, you know, the playing of the sports, Absolutely. You know, that is local local school district decision. You know, mm-hmm. we haven't heard of any schools this year not offering fall sports. Last year, I think we had about maybe like 5%, you know, or about, you know, 3 to 4% of our membership in the fall um, that did not offer fall sports. A lot of those were smaller schools, charter schools um, that just didn't feel they had the resources to, you know, safely, you know, pull it off. Um, but we had a couple, you know, uh, public schools that did not offer fall sports. I think almost all of them came back in some capacity for the winter season. Um, but that is definitely up to the local school boards to decide what they want to offer and not offer for their kids. And as, as of right now in the state of New Jersey, and I realize we're talking about school opening up uh, in a week or two and some are already open, uh, are you aware of any school districts that are, uh, have decided to postpone or have canceled no. sports? Nope, haven't heard of uh, any. And actually, we kicked off uh, this is, this weekend is our week zero weekend for football. So I think we had many football games going on all over. Um, so high school sports now are up and running. Um, and we yeah, we have not been notified by any schools that they're not offering their fall sports this year. And we're talking about this morning with Colleen McGuire. Uh, let me ask you a hypothetical because, um, you know, just again, this is just hypothetical. If let's say um, one school district. Uh, sometime in September, suffered a spike uh, with their infection rate, uh, and they decided that they wanted to, or they told it was, it was wise and prudent to immediately curtail all of its fall sports. So if they were to cancel, let's say, a football game, would that then count as a forfeit in favor of the other school district that they were supposed to play? Would you guys make that call? Uh, uh, how does that work? Well, yeah, what we've instructed our schools is that we recognize some teams are going to be disrupted and they're not going to be able to play. Whether, you know, health officials say, you know what, your team needs to quarantine for the next 10 or 14 days, um, or, or just administration says, you know what, we're going to, we're going to, you know, quarantine for a week, um, and then resume. And this is going to happen in every sport. Now, the sport of football, it's going to get a lot more difficult for those teams, the opponents, to like replace that game 
or even reschedule that game. Right. But our messaging to our schools right now is everyone take a deep breath. We all recognize COVID is still around. Mm-hmm. We're still impacting these teenagers. I think in New Jersey, that 12 to 18 uh, age category is about a little under 50% vaccinated. Um, so we recognize there's still going to be issues. But it is our hope in the best interest of our student athletes that these games can either get replaced, they can get rescheduled, and we're not going to worry about forfeits until we get closer to, you know, what our, our cutoff dates are as yes. we look to yes. start to seed our state tournaments. That is when um, I do expect this, you know, in football, it just, again, because of logistics. Yeah, yeah. But I'm, I'm optimistic in all the other sports that they can um, find replacement games. They can reschedule them at a later date. You know, one thing last year we learned, and our athletic directors um, in League of League and Conference officers learned last year, COVID completely just blew up the whole scheduling plan and model. And I think everyone realized, wow, I can pick up a football game on Wednesday and play it Friday night, and the kids still played and they had a great experience. Mm-hmm. You, know, mm-hmm. didn't, you know, we might have been preparing all day Monday, Tuesday, and early into Wednesday for one opponent, and it's a game change. <laughs> and it was kind of, in a way, I think it brought a newfound relationship and a newfound um, sense of teamwork among the state and our athletic administrators because, in the end, they really all bought into – we're just here to get these kids playing and active and making sure they're having fun. Um, and they all kind of, you know, work together to get every opportunity for their kids to play whenever they could play. Yeah. And I think it was kind of neat. We had teams, especially in the sport of football, all over the state going and playing in areas and teams that they never would have played in a traditional season. So I think, you know, I trust that they, a lot of lessons were learned last year. And I think, that, you know, we will get uh, our kids in as many games as possible. But we recognize forfeits are probably going to come. But we're not going to worry about them early in the season. We're going to worry about looking at the schedules. Okay, what games weren't played, you know, and that's when we'll have to put in like a forfeit into. We're very data-driven in New Jersey. We use PowerPoints. We rely on data for our seeding, you know, and that's where we'll have to start to recognize the forfeits. We're talking with Colleen McGuire. She's the executive director of the New Jersey State Athletic Association. Uh, we got to take a timeout, Colleen. And by the way, you, you talked about obviously being fluid this year. Um, you know, the fact is, if nothing else, the one lesson last year I think that most of the coaches and kids learn in particular is that you can't take any high school sports for granted mm-hmm. because obviously they some we may have a COVID epidemic, a pandemic that can disrupt everything. So I think the kids, and nothing else, realize, hey, this is fun. We want to have as much fun as we possibly can, but we can't always depend on what the schedules are going to be. All right, let me, let me take a pause. Uh, when we come back, we'll, we'll talk about NIL and how that's going to affect high school athletics in the state of New Jersey. one 337 And welcome back to the Sports Edge, everyone. Uh, we're talking this morning with uh, Colleen McGuire. She's the executive director of the New Jersey State Athletic Association. And uh, before we get into our quick discussion about NIL and high school athletics, I do, Colleen, with a couple of calls from uh, listeners regarding COVID in New Jersey. Let's start with, uh, with Jack Smithland over in Fairlawn. Jack, good morning. You're on the fan. How are you? How are you, Rick? Good, Jack. Um, and Colleen, first of all, um, I, I coached in Bergen County for 40 years. Uh, I'm now coaching at the college level. And uh, a couple of the uh, female coaches that I've stayed in contact with, in fact, one in particular said, it's about time they put a woman into this position. <laughs> now, now it'll get done. Now it'll get done correctly. So, um, and, and from what and, and from what I hear, you're doing a fantastic job. You know, speaking to one of my friends 
uh, a football coach that coached at Bergen Catholic for a long time. They talked about one of the things that you did, you know, with um, bringing, you know, uh, football to a all um, school championship so that all the all the different sections can play and, and win a championship. But one of the things that he mentioned was that the COVID, you know, during last year was very, very difficult. It was a very difficult time for everybody. And a lot, you know, this was actually before you probably took office. He said that they were always confused about, you know, the different protocols and different changes that were happening. So, you know, like Rick was speaking to you about, you know, how do you, how do you correspond with the state? You know, I'm, I'm coaching at New Jersey City University now, and we follow everything that the state has to say. And, in fact, we, you know, the school itself, I think, makes different rules about mask wearing and things like that. Um, so with, with, with working with the state, do you feel that there are problems or disagreements that the NJSIAA might have? With, with what the governor or what the, you know, what, what our state government says? Oh, no. Like, like I said earlier on, we are not the medical professionals. We don't pretend right. to be. Um, we're just here to support our schools. Um, you know, and this year it is different because, you know, every, all school districts, you know, they're in a different position now. You know, they, some school right. districts might have very large vaccination percentages within their community. Some may have very few. Um, so it, there's not one-size-fits-all solution anymore to what the schools need in order to safely offer, not not just open up their school day, but to offer, you know, extracurricular activities. Um, and that's, you know, the arts, the band, the performing arts, in addition to the athletics. So, right, right. you know, no, I have no uh, – I, I have not had any experiences or any, you know, confusion or, you know, um, disagreement with anything coming from our health officials or our governor's office. Jack, well, thank you, you know, for – I've got to take some more calls, you're Jack. You're more than welcome, Rick. Th- thanks you're for the call. Thank you. Take care. Let's move on to, uh, to Ron, who is standing by in Connecticut. Good morning, Ron. You're next up on the fan. Uh, good morning. Uh, very good show. Uh, my, my question is, what are you going to do about critical race theory and how it affects all these kids? And you know what I'm talking about. My kids are coming home at seven, nine, eight years old now, and they're being asked, we're being asked by them, how come we've been bad parents? And they're getting bullied at schools already. And sports are such a important part of growing up. That was my question. I tried to get in last week and I couldn't, but your caller said, your, your, your clearance person said, go ahead and give it in. So I'm going to get off and listen to what you have to say since you're in that field. Thank uh, you. Okay, Ron. Uh, that's a little bit, uh, well, Colleen, the whole, whole thing about critical race theory, a little bit far afield from what we're talking about. Obviously, what we want to have happen is that all the kids are, are clearly protected. Uh, ideally, they are vaccinated uh, and are taking precautions, uh, you know, following, wearing masks and so on and so forth. I, I, I would like to think that um, that would basically suggest that we've moved beyond any concerns with critical race. Uh, do you have any particular thought about that at all? No, I agree. Thank you. Okay, let's um, let's move on because I do have only limited time. I do want to talk to you about NIL, and obviously, uh, I'm curious. Well, you probably know, for example, Colleen, of the the, the high school quarterback uh, Quinn Ewers uh, from the state of Texas, who decided to bypass his senior year this year in high school in order to enroll at Ohio State because he's guaranteed of making serious six figures in terms of uh, you know name, image, likeness, income. I mean, he basically yeah. said, look, I, I can't do that in Texas, but I can if I, I'm a freshman in college. Uh, I mean, this is 
<laughs> certainly sent school boards and state legislatures scrambling. Does New Jersey have any, any policy or any decision been made about high school athletes, star athletes who want to do endorsement deals you know, based upon their, uh, their star status? So currently in New Jersey, there are no laws on the books that even uh, address this opportunity for student-athletes, you know, below the college level. Um, so we, you know, back up a little bit. Um, you know, this summer there were kind of two bombshells that were dropped on, you know, amateur rules in general, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. even at the college level and then ultimately below the college level. You had the Supreme Court decision that came out in late June, um, the Austin decision, that really kind of just upended how colleges, you know, treat their, you know, amateur athletes. Mm-hmm. And it just had everyone start bringing to attention, you know, the need to reconsider what is amateurism in today's environment with this generation. Um, then you had the NCA came out a few days later and announced their, you know, final framework for allowing college athletes to profit off the use of their name, image, and likeness. And that also, that went to effect July 1st. So literally overnight, all of this uh, occurred. The, the key for the high school associations is that you know, we all have probably very similar amateur rules on our books. Um, and, you know, we never had to address the, these issues because at the time, up until July 1st, any activity of that nature would, would jeopardize their college eligibility. Of course, of course. So now a part of that NIL framework that came out from the NCA was they basically said, as long as you are not breaking a state law, we do not care if you profit off the use of your name, image, and likeness before you enter college. So in Quinn's case, there had been a longstanding state law on the books in Texas mm-hmm. that strictly prohibits this activity. California is a state that actually since the early 2000s, like around 2003, they've actually allowed their high school student athletes to profit off the use of their name, image, and likeness in commercial activities, endorsements, et cetera as long as it does not involve their their high school affiliation. It, nothing to do with their high school sports, you know, school, team, you know, any of that thing, but as them as an individual. But if, so they had done, if, they, if, they, excuse, if they had done, if you're a California high school athlete uh, and you had done that, you would theoretically might run into, again, before all this changed, you would run into possible interference of jeopardizing your amateur status in, in college. You d- definitely would in um yeah, you, you definitely would have uh, lost your amateur status within the California, you know, Interscholastic Federation. Absolutely. Yep. Um, but you, as long as you were doing it in your personal capacity, your individual capacity. Okay, so the, the concept has kind of been there. Um, and then, so this summer, you know, high school amateur rules are definitely been a, a you know, priority for, for many of us because we realize we don't have state laws on our books and our amateur rules need to be updated to address, you know, this change now that the colleges are now saying, well, we're not going to stand in their way. It's up to you guys to decide if they can, you know, profit off the use of their name, image, and likeness. Mm-hmm. So I can assure you I've had countless conversations all summer, um, <laughs> and it's definitely been – I left – actually, when this uh, NCA framework came out, all of us uh, were at the NFHS summer conference in Orlando, Florida, and we all were leaving around July 1st, July 2nd, and we're like, oops, looks like, you know, we just got something thrown in our lap for this summer. Uh, mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. we are discussing. I've been meeting with my attorneys. We've been uh, getting a lot of feedback. Um, so we are, you know, this is going to be a big storyline for, for many associations this fall. 
I do plan to address the uh, the issue and the topic with our executive committee. That is our governing body. They meet their first meeting of the year, September 15th. Um, and I think we can come up with a pretty good, um, you know, updates to our amateur rules that are common sense, that are fair to the student-athletes, but that definitely don't take away the integrity of uh, our high school sports um, and, and, you know, the, the amateur nature that high school sports are. So so stay tuned. You know, we're working on it. Um, but this summer, definitely the whole concept of what is an amateur athlete has definitely been, you know, kind of thrown up in the air, and everyone now needs to start figuring out how they want to move forward. Do you think this would be a, a, a state sort of policy, or do you think it would be up to, uh, like the COVID, up to the individual school districts to, to make Oh, no, this would be a uh, NJSIAA, you know, uh, rule regulation that all of our schools, all of our student athletes will have to abide by. Okay. I mean, and uh, obviously, you're, you just said you're getting, this is happening very, very quickly. Uh, you just yeah. sort of dropped in your lap in July. Uh, and I assume you're looking at other states as well to see what yeah. they're doing. And they're probably looking at you as well to see what you're doing. Oh, yeah, yeah. I've had plenty of conversations with, you know, very similar states. You know, um, I speak with, you know, the New York and Connecticut executive directors. We've spoken regularly over the summer. I've reached out to a few other states to find out, and we're all in the same position. We, you know, we're, we're working through our amateur rules, working with our attorneys, getting feedback. Um, I expect many states this fall to be putting in uh, updates to their amateur rules that will address and specifically address this new changing world with uh, name, image, and likeness among this generation that, you know, social media, you know, plays a whole new role in, in, their, in their world. Yeah, uh, no question. No question at all. All right, let me, let me take a time out. Uh, obviously, uh, I am... Um and we'll take some more calls after the break. Uh, we're talking with Colin McGuire, uh, Executive Director of the New Jersey State Interscholastic Athletic Association. Our number, of course, is one eight seven seven three three seven sixty six sixty six. When we return, we'll continue with our talk with Colleen. Stay with me. It's 14 days until Jets opening kickoff. Talk about them on the fan, 1019 FM and the Odyssey app. We're talking this morning with uh, the executive director of the New Jersey State Interscholastic Association, Colleen McGuire, and uh, we're doing our best we can to cover a lot of pressing topics. And, Colleen, before we get back to the calls, I just want to make this observation. And, and you know, um, we live in an age where, obviously, there are a lot of high school sports, a lot of high school athletes, uh, but there are also a lot of travel uh, or in club teams uh, outside of schools, uh, and, and, you know, theoretically, these programs, these club teams, travel teams, offer better competition than high school, but uh, they are not overseen or supervised in any way by the State Athletic Association, and, I, you know, I've always sensed that a lot of unsuspecting sports parents feel that somehow the travel and club teams report to the State Athletic Association, but just to clarify, you have no role or influence on them, Correct. Yes, thank you for pointing that out. We often do get those inquiries or questions, and absolutely, we have no jurisdiction, no oversight over any of those types of activities. Yeah, I just don't know if if people are just uh, naive about this or they just assume that uh, they're all report to the one central office, and that's just not the way it is. Um, In fact, let me ask you, being a sports parent yourself, uh, obviously you're familiar with club teams and travel teams. What kind of advice would you tell uh, moms and dads if they're, a kid, if they're considering putting their kid into a travel or a club team? You know, I, I, we've had a longstanding rule in my house that we play multiple sports. Um, 
We just don't play them on the same day. So if there's a program out there that's pressuring you, you know, if it's a traditional spring sport and they're pressuring you to play all fall, all winter, you have to realize that they're doing it for money. Um, they're not necessarily doing the best interest of your kid. Mm-hmm. So as long as your eyes are open, um, that you're probably going to give a lot of your time, a lot of your money um, to these organizations, and the potential upside, the odds are not in your favor as far as that, you know, athletic scholarships, um, some, you know, better opportunities come. But the money on that side doesn't always follow the amount of money you're putting into the program. Mm-hmm. So as long as you go in it, into it with that perspective, um, you know, I think you'll have a good experience. Others that just buy into the sales pitch that it is, um, and then they start, you know, imposing on other activities that their child would be doing, you know, meaning playing other sports, imposing on their time as a family over the summer. You know, I think you start to have a lot of hard feelings and you start to regret it as they, you know, and then you see it in your kids that they start to burn out. And as soon as you sense that your kid's not really having fun, meaning yep. that they're not eager to go, I think you really need to open your eyes and back it off because I think, um, you know, that's where a lot of, you know, bad experiences start to occur. And I the last see. thing, you know, I, I do yeah. see kids burning out, and that concerns me. You know, yeah, they're no, I, no longer playing for the love of it. I couldn't agree more. A generation ago, burnout did not really exist, but it's exactly. a concern these yeah. days. And uh, let's face it, the, most kids would love to play sports 24-7, but it gets to the point where it somehow transforms from being joy and fun and becomes yes. a task or an obligation or work, and that's when burnout begins to seep in. Let me yes. let me go back to our callers. Let's go to uh, Kevin over in Bergen County. Kevin, good morning. You're on the fan. Hi, good morning, uh, Rick and Colleen. I'm actually a high school principal in Bergen County. Um, I just wanted to thank and point out Colleen put together um, New Jersey student ambassadors. She really gave a voice to the student athletes. Um, and with their input, changes have been made, and she's really listened to them. And, you know, as a school leader, it's really important that we listen to them. And I just wanted to thank her for that. And if you didn't get to share that already with your listeners, um, maybe Colleen can expand on that a little bit. Kevin, thank you for for mentioning that, and thank you for your call. Colleen, let's talk about the ambassador program, what you've implemented here. Yeah, so we're in our third school year of the program. Um, You know, I had been at NJSI for a few years, and, you know, some things had come up, and, you know, adults are sitting around discussing, debating in my head. Because at the time, I, you know, I I remember a couple of topics in particular. I was envisioning, like, the the teenagers, the high schoolers in my town that were babysitting my daughters, you know, after school because I was at work, and I'm like, you know, the kids just don't care about this. (laughs) Why are we getting so worked up as adults when it doesn't really matter? And it just dawned on me, like, we can't do our job effectively until we understand this generation and we, you know – Get to, get to know what, what matters to them. Um, so that's probably been, like, the greatest thing that I've done since I've been at NJSA, in my mind, is developing a relationship with these kids. I have some that, you know, I, I've written college, you know, recommendations letters for. They graduated. I felt like it was my own kid leaving. Um, so we've grown really close to some of them. And they've given me such a perspective over the last year and a half, especially because of COVID. Um, I vividly remember it was early summer 2020, and I met with my incoming seniors virtually just to discuss, you know, how are you guys doing? What's your biggest fears for the upcoming year? You know, what can we do? And one of them in particular said, Mrs. McGuire, like, we just lost our entire spring season. Um, my heart breaks for my senior teammates that graduated that never got to finish their career on the field. Um, going into my senior year, I just want an opportunity to compete. I don't care if we necessarily can have state championships. I don't care if it's not a normal season. Um, we lost, spring lost everything. 
if the fall is not quite normal, if the winter's not quite normal, um, it's okay because at least we have something. And I'm like, wow, I wish more adults had that same perspective mm-hmm. as this, you know, 18-year-old girl had. Um, but, yeah, and, you know, like the, um, last Sunday I was in my office with uh, 14 of my senior student ambassadors, and we actually talked about NIL, and I got their feedback on, on you know, some, some different paths NJSI can take. And they, you know, it was a clear consensus, um, and their their opinions really matter. Um, I know the other big thing I talked to them about was uh, sportsmanship. And they're actually, we have a policy in New Jersey where we read a sportsmanship statement before the game to the players, the officials do, and we read one over the PA announcement to the fans. They're actually in the process of rewriting the sportsmanship statement that's read to all their peers because they realize the one that was written by a bunch of adults, you know, a long time ago, it doesn't really, uh, it doesn't resonate with them. It doesn't hit home for them. So we're in the process of drafting that, um, and we're going to be hopefully later this fall rolling out a new sportsmanship statement that really hits home to the kids. It's these types of things that you can do that makes them feel they have skin in the game. Um, and I do honestly think the more they understand not only our role in their lives, but the more that they, you know, kind of model the behavior we expect of all the adults in, in their lives, you know, the more that the parents, the fans, everyone will start to understand. So I'm of the, let's get to the kids, let's learn what, you know, what matters to them, make them understand, and then everyone else will follow. You know, I'm listening to you, and I'm thinking, holy smokes, uh, we talk so much about, you know, trying to do what we can for the benefit of the, the student-athletes uh, in terms of uh, making sports and their sports experience in high school to be a positive one. But, <laughs> I mean, it's so – your ambassador program is so simple. Why not, as you said, yeah. let's talk to the kids themselves and see what they have to offer. And obviously you've been doing that for a few years now, and you're getting the – especially during the pandemic, the kids are giving you really good feedback as to how they see things and what's important to yeah. them. Uh, I am curious about, uh, you say you're rewriting uh, the sportsmanship policy because, um, again, you're talking to these kids about what they feel resonates with, with them. And, again, it's their life. It's their career. They're the ones who are playing sports in high school. W- can you tell me or share with our audience what are the kind of things they're, they were telling you about sportsmanship and what's important to them? Yeah, that, you know, that actually from a kid's perspective, you know, once the game starts, they, they're able to tune out the crowd. They're able to tune out everything going on around them. You know, right. uh-huh. they, they just want to, you know, they want to play. They want to have that positive experience. They want to have fun. You know, do they recognize that they're, you know, they see the news. They see reports of, you know, adults not always behaving. At, you know, not just high school. I'm just in any kind of youth, youth sports activities and stuff. Um, you know, they, they maybe witnessed in some, like, rivalry games, maybe a little trash talking, a little bit of, you know, unsportsmanlike play. Um, but, you know, they don't think it's, like, a, a, a major issue. Um, they, you know, three years ago, my first class of student ambassadors, their biggest fear was sportsmanship, the lack of sportsmanship coming from the stands, the impact it has on officials. They recognize that, hey, you know, my freshman, you know, we had a lot of games canceled, you know, my freshman year because we couldn't get officials. Right. They see that every every sport is struggling for officials, right, um, even pre-COVID, you know, not just COVID. And they do see that maybe the sportsmanship coming from the sidelines, sportsmanship coming from the stands, you know, eventually does wane on the officials. And many of them stop officiating because of that behavior. So they actually started Officials Appreciation Week, where every season we designate a week, and the kids, we challenge the captains 
They they recognize the officials. They give them a certificate. They give them a snack tray after the game. They just have an announcement thanking them before the game. They call their name. It's just it's the simple gestures that go a really long way. So that's a tradition they started three years ago. So we're going to be entering our third school year of Officials Appreciation Week. Um, and each year we strive to make it bigger and better and, and more uh, bring more awareness to it. Just to, you know, just to give that little token of appreciation. Because in the end, the kids, they pointed out, you know, very early on that the most important people to any event in any sport are the officials. You know, my coach could be homesick. I could be homesick. The game still continues. If the officials don't show, there's no competition. Yeah. So they, um, it's just amazing the things they can come up with, you know. <laughs> and, and you're absolutely right, of course. Uh, there, there has been a serious decline in the number of officials and refs and umpires even before the pandemic hit, and that did not make things any easier. And, of course, the kids, uh, you know, they realize that if there aren't any officials, the games cannot be played. It's as simple as that, yep. and that, that is a huge concern. Uh, I have to ask you before we run out of time, you know, I, I, I don't live in New Jersey. I live in New York State, but I'm aware that New Jersey – has become home to some real major powers in terms of athletic teams, especially in football. Uh, you know, schools like Bergen Catholic and St. Joe's, Paramus Catholic and all the others. Has the astounding growth of these uh, parochial powerhouses, have that caused any issues, or do you see any issues on the horizon? You know, we, we, you know specific to those schools, you know, this is where our, um, some really great athletic uh, directors a few years ago um, – they came together and they realized that there were starting to become scheduling issues. Yeah. There were starting to become concerns of, you know, public schools in the area not wanting to play, you know, some of these more powerful programs that are out playing, you know, getting national attention, you know, national um, rankings. So they, they banded together and they created, you know, the Super Football Conference, which has like about 100 teams. So, and that's, that's huge because now, you know, we're luckily in New Jersey, we're, we're, we're dead. You know, we're geographically close. You shouldn't have to drive all that far to find competitive balance. Um, so now by banding together all these conferences in, the, in that footprint, they have one large conference with multiple divisions, and they now can schedule accordingly. You know, so there might be a crossover game here and there, you know, but it's optional. I think at, at many of the public schools will want to play a game against them just as like a measuring stick for their program. But it certainly isn't anything that's, you know, uh, required like it used to be. So there's just a lot more scheduling flexibility. It also allows these non-public schools that are, you know, very successful, they can go out of state and get another game or two against better, you know, light competition. So this is where, you know, our athletic directors stepped up and, you know, really came together and created, you know, this huge conference that just provided so much scheduling flexibility. And there hasn't been, you know, really any issues since. So it's actually sort of balanced uh, everything out. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, exactly, exactly, because it allows so much more flexibility to really get schedule accordingly based on, you know, to find some competitive balance for all teams of all levels. Colleen, uh, last question uh, before I, I let you go. Uh, with trans transferring high school athletes in Jersey, uh, last year I guess the rules were suspended because of the pandemic. What is yeah. the status for this year? Is it a continuation or are you back to normal? What, what's happening? Yeah, with we're, we're back to normal. Um, we just allowed – so last year we were very flexible, right? We said because of COVID, kids have to go – might have to transfer for any type of reason. So we said, as long as they transfer by a certain date, you know, they're eligible immediately um, between the fall season and before the start of the winter season. This year, we're basically allowing any kids that had a transfer last year due to COVID, 
if they want to return to the school they were at before the pandemic, so the rules written that if you're transferring to the school that you were enrolled at and attending on March 16, 2020, as long as you do it by September 1st, you will be immediately eligible. Otherwise, all other transfers are subject to our normal transfer rule. We are back to normalcy in all fashion regarding that type of activity. Mm-hmm. I thought to ask you, I'm just curious, with um, with kids who go from, let's say, a public high school, they transfer to a parochial powerhouse, and they they get there and realize they're not going to, the grass is not greener, they're not going to get much mm-hmm. playing time, and they want to go back to their previous high school. How does that work? Right now, that is still, you know, that's considered a transfer, so as long if there's we tie our transfer uh, fit to if there was varsity participation uh-huh. uh, at the prior school, but also if whether there is a bona fide change of address or not. So if the kid did not move with a parent or guardian, um, and if they participated in varsity at that prior school, then we do have a 30-day fit um, or half the number of games in that season, you know, whichever comes first. So in the scenario you described, that, that student-athlete, if they did not transfer with their parents, move with their parents, they would be subject to the transfer system. Got it. Okay. Interesting. All right. Well, look, I, I, <laughs> truth is, I have a lot more questions, but unfortunately, <laughs> time is up. Uh, Colleen, I can't thank you enough. Colleen McGuire, the executive director of the New Jersey State Interscholastic Association. It's easy to see why you get such high marks uh, in a very tough job, uh, and I thank you again for, for joining me this morning to talk about about these pressing issues over in Jersey. Thank you, Colleen. We'll talk to you again real Thank soon. Thank you, Rick. Take All care. right, take care. Thank you. you Bye. Bet. Hey, my thanks this morning to Brian Roscona. Please stick around for Richard Neer. He is up next. I'll see you next Sunday right here on the Sports Edge. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. 
Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com.